We are on Yevomos Kuf Yud Tes Omer Aleph 119a. As we are beginning the very last parak, the very last chapter in Yevamos, we have four weeks left until we make a siyam, until we complete this entire Mesechta. Okay, so we continue with the Mishnah. The Mishnah, the opening Mishnah of the parak says, Ha'isha Shahalach We're continuing with various cases of testimony about the fact that the husband passed away. And so this is a case where um, there is a woman who went, uh, a woman where, sorry, who, whose husband traveled uh, afar together with the co-wife, right? So it's a case here where the husband had two wives, let's say. Um, one wife stayed behind, the other wife went and traveled with the husband. And they were traveling um, far away. And then they came and they told her, your husband died. So they said that your husband died. So in general, we would say, well, if the husband died, the situation here um, where they uh, don't have kids, there are no kids present, um, and so the husband dies. So in general, we would say, if the husband died, you could go ahead, it will be permissible to get married. We, we rely on one witness. Um, however, the other factor to, to consider here is uh, maybe she first has to do Yibam or Chalitza. Because since there are no kids here in this situation, maybe she has to do Yibam or Chalitza. But what makes this complicated is that since he was traveling with his co-wife, well, if that co-wife had any child, whether it was a boy or a girl, if she had any child, if she became pregnant and had any child, so then there would be... Uh, an exemption from Yibam Rechalitza. They already have a child. Not only would, be the, would there be an exemption from Yibam Rechalitza, in fact, to do Yibam uh, would be a, a severe prohibition. It would be a severe prohibition, as we've mentioned many times throughout this Masechta, that when there's a mitzvah of Yibam, so then there's a mitzvah. When there's no mitzvah of Yibam, so it's not just that there's no mitzvah, but it's a sin, it's an Avera, because it's having relations with your brother-in-law, which outside the context of Yibam would be a prohibition. And so therefore there's this concern, well, what happened in that situation when the husband was away with his, his co-wife? Uh, if she had a child, so then there'd be no, uh, no need to do Yibam or Chalitza, she, she could just get married. If she didn't have a child, so then there is an obligation to do Yibam or Chalitza. So what happens in this case? <coughs> so the mission says, She's stuck. She can't get married to anybody, to anybody else, and she's also not allowed to do Yibam. We'll see, the Gemara will explain later on, not in this recording, why can't she do Chalitza? At the very least, she should be able to do Chalitza. We'll see why uh, in uh, on Amabez, on the second page. Um, the only way she could get married is if she knows with certainty whether or not the co-wife uh, is pregnant, has a child, or whether the co-wife does not have a child. She would have to know with certainty. Until she knows with certainty, she is not allowed to get married or to do Yibam. She has to know whether or not the, the co-wife uh, became pregnant. That's case number one. The case number one is where the husband is traveling with one of the co-wives. Case number two of the Mishnah. Let's say it's the following case. The husband is traveling and also her mother-in-law is traveling. Now we're dis- discussing a case here where she doesn't have a brother-in-law. Her husband doesn't have a brother um, but the mother-in-law is now traveling. Now that the mother-in-law is traveling, are we concerned that she will have a boy, she'll have a child who's a boy, who's now this 
the husband's brother, and even if we know that the husband passed away, well, we don't know whether or not she has an obligation to do yibam. It's sort of the flip case of the first case, because the first case was about the co-wife having a child. This is about the mother-in-law, the, the husband's mother having a child. If the husband's mother needs to be specifically a boy, so that it's a brother-in-law, uh, but we don't know whether or not there's a brother-in-law in existence or not. So what do you do? So, we are not concerned. In the end of the day, we're, we're not concerned. Yatsamleya, however, according to the Tanakam, according to the first opinion, if she left pregnant, Choshesh's, then we're concerned. It's, we're concerned that what? That it was a healthy baby and that it was a boy. It has to be specifically a boy. Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Eno Choshesh's. Rabbi Yeshua says that no, we're still not concerned. Why? He says this is different than the first case. In this case, it has to be specifically a boy. This means that it's a, it's a minority. The chances of it being a healthy boy is a minority. Why? 50-50 chance whether it's a boy or a girl. And even if, even if you want to say it's a boy, but there's also a chance, unfortunately, of it becoming a nafel, of it being a stillborn, uh, of, um, right, of, of, uh, of a miscarriage. So, uh, because of that, Rabbi says we have to follow the majority. The majority of the time, it's not a boy. It could be a small majority, but, uh, a majority of the time, it's not a boy, and so therefore we're not concerned. He says that's different than the first case. In the first case with the co-wife, it doesn't have to be a boy. It could be a boy or a girl. So in that case, the majority, you know, as we'll see in the Gemara, it could be that there's a majority of the time that she will have a child. Okay, so those are the first two cases, those are the two cases of the Mishnah. Let's see the beginning of the Gemara. The Gemara says as follows. My heat sarasa. The Mishnah says that if we're told that the husband passed away, so then she, the co-wife who stayed behind, cannot get married until uh, she knows whether the co-wife who is traveling with the husband is pregnant. But the way the Mishnah phrases it is heat sarasa. She, the co-wife. Why does it add she, the co-wife? Well, let's just say the co-wife. So the Gemara says something important. We're only concerned for that co-wife, that that co-wife is going to have a child. We're not concerned that the husband went and, and got married to another person, another co-wife, and maybe has a child with that co-wife. We're not gonna. It's not gonna be a a chashash, a, a, a concern for an endless number of possibilities. No, we know that uh, there were two co-wives, so only the two of them could have children with this husband. One of them was traveling with the husband, so that's the one that we have concern uh, that we have to know about whether or not they had a child. But to to be concerned that maybe he went up and he he's, he got married to somebody else. And we never knew about that, so then we're not we're not concerned for that because that's ain't ladaver sof. Then there's no end. We'll have no idea who he married and who didn't marry. So we we can only be concerned for the co-wife that we know that he was married to before they traveled. Okay, that's the point of the gemara. Now says the gemara with regards to this case of the co-wife. The Mishnah says that um, when there are two co-wives, one of them is traveling with the husband. We were told that the husband passed away. The Mishnah says she can't get married and she can't do yibum. Why can't you get married if you can't do Yibam? Because we're not sure whether or not the co-wife had a child or not. So the Gemara says, I don't understand. I understand that she can't do Yibam. Why? Because what if the co-wife had a child? Then there's absolutely no obligation to do Yibam for either one. It's a, it, it goes based on the husband. It we don't need it that each co-wife has a child, as long as there's one child from the husband. So then there's no, there's an exemption for everybody from Yibam. And so therefore, uh, if she were to do Yibam, it would be a very severe prohibition of marrying your brother-in-law in a time of a prohibition, when, when there's no mitzvah. 
Fine, that I understand. Why can't she get married? Why can't we assume that the co-wife had a child? Why? Why should we assume that? We should go based on the statistical majority. Most women, they become pregnant and they have children. And it could be a boy or a girl. It doesn't make a difference. Um, and most women have children, so we should be, we should assume that she had a child, and therefore, based on that assumption, we should say that the co-wife who stayed behind is allowed to then go ahead and get married to whomever she wants. We should go based, there's a concept of going based on the majority in the Torah. So we should go based on the statistical majority that the co-wife who's traveling with the husband is going to have a child. Okay, that's the question of the Gemara. So the Gemara answers as follows. Lema of Meir, he, maybe this is the position of Rav Meir. Rav Meir has a unique position who says, the He is of the opinion that we are in fact concerned for the minority. He's concerned for, he doesn't go based on the majority. Even though the Torah says to go based on the majority. Um, so we'll see that uh, perhaps there are various limitations to what Rav Meir is saying here. That that we go based on the minority. Maybe we'll see in, uh, in, a, uh, in the next recording that there are various cases where um, he says we don't go. We're not concerned for the minority, but Rameir has a general position where he says that we are concerned, even though we should go based on the majority. We have to be concerned for the for the for the end result, which is uh, the probability. It's a it's, it's it's a low probability of it happening, and so Rameir has this concern. Now, there's a big discussion: is this on a biblical level or is this on a rabbinic level? Maybe it's only on a rabbinic level, but Rameir has such a concern. So therefore, our mission is following the position of Rav Meir, because even though it's true, the co-wife, statistically, uh, there's, a, there's a high likelihood or, or majority, statistical majority, that the co-wife will have a child. Rav Meir says we have to be concerned for the, for the scenario where she doesn't have a child, and so therefore, the co-wife who stayed back cannot get married. And then the Gemara says, no. Maybe this is even according to the Rabbanan, even according to those who argue in Rav Meir. Why? We could even follow the Rabbanon, the majority of rabbis. Why? Maybe when the Torah says we should go based on a majority, what does that mean that we should go based on a majority? It's examples as follows. Let's say you have ten stores. Nine are kosher, one isn't kosher. Ten stores in a block, and there's a piece of meat that's found in the street. Uh, so where did this piece of meat come from? So we have nine of stores, nine out of ten that are in front of us are kosher. We're allowed to assume that it came from a kosher store. There's a chance, there's a good chance that it came out of, uh, the kosher store, nine out of ten. And so therefore we'll say that the meat is kosher. That's because you have the nine stores are right in front of you. The tenth one isn't kosher. It's right in front of you. Similarly, in terms of a court, in the situation of a court, we have a court where uh, let's say you have you have a certain number of judges. Let's say you have twelve who rule that uh, the person's innocent, eleven that rule that he's guilty, um, and so therefore you have a majority. We go based on the majority in that case, twelve versus eleven. But you could count the number of people. That's what it means to go based on a majority. You, it, it, that's what the Torah means. But it's not referring to cases of statistical majorities of of just the way of the world, the way normal things happen. Uh, of having a history of, of how things come about, such as, do most women have children? Uh, most married women, do most married women have children? Uh, so even though that's a statistical majority that they do, uh, but 
we can't rely on that. That when the Torah said to go based on majority, it wasn't talking about a statistical majority about uh, the way of the world, about what most people do. Uh, what it's discussing is when you have a certain number that's right in front of you, so then we go based on the majority. But if it's based on statistics, the Rabbanon would agree that we have to be concerned for the uh, for the minority outcome, for the for the outcome that is less likely to occur. Um, why would you make such a distinction? So there are various reasons that are given why you make such a such a distinction. This is a very important uh, rule uh, that uh, this Gemara is discussing. These two ideas: one's called Ruba de Isakaman, one's called Ruba de Lesakaman. When the majority is in front of you versus when it's a statistical majority. Uh, so perhaps you could explain. There's different answers that are given when you have nine out of ten that's right in front of you, or it's twelve versus eleven in terms of the judges. So because it's right, some want to say it because it's standing, it's right in front of you. It's not. A statistic, but it's standing right there in front of you. So it's like we totally ignore the minority. That one store that's not kosher is totally, it's out of the picture. There's no concern for that when it comes to a statistical majority. So then uh, we do have to be concerned for uh, for the unlikely outcome. Uh, that's one take. Um, there are other, other explanations as well. Not for now, but the, this is a very big topic. Um, so that's what the Gemara wants to suggest, that the Rabbanon, they don't hold of the concept of following the majority uh, when it comes to a statistical majority in terms of seeing uh, the way how people act in the, in the way of the world. The Gemara then says, is this really true? <laughs> well, we can prove to you that this isn't true. We can find, I, I'll find you a case right now where the Rabbi, the majority, they, the, the Rabbanon, they are not concerned for the unlikely outcome um, in a scenario where we're dealing with minors, uh, young children, and the question is, could we assume that once they reach the age of 12 or 13 that they will reach puberty or not? Go, could we assume that? Most children do, uh, do reach puberty and they're able to have their own kids. Are we concerned that maybe they can't have kids? With regards to what area of law? Does this impact? So, it's something that we've discussed in the past with Yibam. What's the case? Ditanya. Uh, Ditanya. What's the case in the Brightsaw? The same Rav Meir that we had before is of the opinion that a boy and girl cannot do Chalitza and they cannot do Yibam. If they're under the age of 12 or 13, they can't do Chalitza and they cannot do Yibam. So Amr Lola Rameir, the, the rabbi said back to Rameir, you're right about one of the two. Yof Amrus. You're right, She'ein Cholzen. They can't do Chalitza. Ish Ksivaparsha. It says in the Torah, Ish, a man, meaning above the age of 12 or 13. Ish and just like it applies to a man, also for a woman, if she's under the age of 12, it's also not going to, uh, not going to apply. Okay. Elamatam Ein Miyavmin. So fine, we agree to you that there's no Chalitza, but why can't you do Yibam? Why can't you do Yibam? They ask Rameir, why can't a, 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 a boy or a girl who's under the age of 12 or 13 do Yibam? So he said to them, Amalem, he said to them, because they can't do Yibam because we have to be concerned. Because when it comes to uh, a children, when they're, they're under the age of 12 or 13, we have to be concerned that maybe the boy will become a Sris, somebody who's not able to have children. The girl will also become somebody who's not able to have children. They're totally exempt from Yibam and they're going ahead and they're doing Yibam. Which, as we mentioned before, was a severe prohibition if it's outside the context of a mitzvah. They'll be totally exempt. The mitzvah of Yibam only applies if they're able to have children, if they're born in a way 
where they're able to have children. Because this is Rameyer, this is the position of Rameyer who says that we have to be concerned for an unlikely scenario. And this is an unlikely scenario that they won't be able to have kids. Most, most children grow up and they're, they are able to have children, their own children. What do the rabbis hold? The majority of the rabbis, majority of rabbis go against Rameyer and they say that we don't have to be concerned for the unlikely scenario. They're allowed to do Yibam. They, could, they can't do Chalitza, but these, these minors, under the age of 12 or 13, they could do Yibam. Why? Because, first of all, you, you don't need their knowledge. Uh, and so, therefore, that solves a, a lot of other problems. You don't need their awareness. Uh, however, it also solves the problem that we're not concerned that maybe they'll end up becoming uh, people who are not able to have children. We don't, we're not concerned for that. We're not concerned for, for, for an unlikely scenario. So Ella concludes the Gemara, Mechavarta Masnisin Rumerihi. So in the end of the day, the Mishnah is following the position of Rumerihi. The reason why, going back to the case of the Mishnah, of the co-wife who stays behind, the reason why she can't get married, she cannot assume that her co-wife had a child when she was abroad, traveling abroad. The reason why is because we have to be concerned for Rumerihi, who says that we have to be concerned for the unlikely scenario that she does not have a child. So therefore, we do have to be concerned for the unlikely scenario that she does not have a child. And so therefore... Uh, she's not allowed, the co-wife cannot do Yibam and cannot get married until she finds out whether or not her co-wife did or did not have a child. Okay, this concludes this part of the Gemara. We're sort of in the middle of a topic. The Gemara will continue this topic uh, in the next recording.